Welcome to the Nerd Gospel Podcast, where our theology is automatic, systematic, dogmatic. Why, it's the redemptive historical hermeneutic. We'll get some Thea rolling and 20 sided dice, oh yeah. Keep gaming, oh, keep gaming. Mountain Dew injected fuel and chrome plated armor, oh yeah. Get the money, I work to get the money. With my Bible on the floor, my small group's waiting at the door. You better not be bragging, cause my computer started lagging. Nerd Gospel. Go, 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 go. Nerd Gospel, you're preaching good news in style. Nerd Gospel, go, Nerd Gospel. Go, Nerd Gospel, the podcast that will make you smile. A Nerd Gospel, go, Nerd Gospel. Christ is supreme, he is the king. I'm Heath. I'm Jeremy. Welcome to the musical edition of the Nerd Gospel Podcast. Is that the end of the music part? No, that's the end. Okay. But this is the musical edition. Right, because, because we <laughs> began with a musical number. Uh, I was actually in Greece, and I played... This is interesting, because I played a part that's not even actually in the movie. Okay. So whenever I tell people, I'm like, oh, I played this part. You know, the funny thing is, I can't remember his name now. Because mm-hmm, it's not in the movie. Yeah, I was the mooning champ of Rydell High. And the whole point in the... <laughs> yeah, in, in mooning, you know, you're like, what? Yeah. Well, in the, in the show, in the stage play, there's a guy who moons people. And I was that guy in the stage play. And the, he actually has three songs in the stage play. Yeah. And I can't remember his name. When I was in Romeo and Juliet, yeah. I played the guy that moons people. Oh. So that's interesting. <laughs> well, look at that. We're just two, two mooners. There's a moon out tonight. Uh, let's get to the news, straight to the news here. Where were the Knights of Ren in Star Wars The Last Jedi? Do you know who the Knights of the Ren are? Do you remember them? I think for our listeners' sake, you should explain it to me. Yeah, so in the first movie, in Force Awakens, the first the first movie, yeah. in Force Awakens, there's this quick little thing where it's like, he was one of the Knights of Ren. I don't uh-huh. know who says it, so I'm just making up. Uh-huh. Like a like Obi-Wan said it. He was one of the Knights of Ren. Mm. Uh, and that's like, he has like this posse, this gang called the Knights of Ren, and apparently they're bad dudes. Nowhere in the movies. Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren and right. Knights Should have Ren. bad dudes. Yeah. So anyway, so they came huh. to Ryan Johnson. I call him Rian because it's just fun. Yeah. Rian Johnson. And they said, where were the Knights of Ren? He said this. He said, I guess I could have used the Knights of Ren in place of the Praetorian Guards, but then it would have felt like wasting them because all those guards had to die. Spoiler alert. And if Kylo had some, I guess I should have spoiler it before I. <laughs> no, you do it right after. Oh, and if <laughs> Kylo had some kind of connection to them, which he did. Yeah. It would have added a complication that wouldn't have helped the scene. Truth is, I just didn't see a place for them in the movie, Rian Johnson said. I wonder, if, did he even see Force Awakens? The more I hear of him talking about the movie, he, yeah. it's just like, oh, what? Yeah, ah, I didn't do it. <laughs> They're like, It does seem like continuity wasn't super high on his list yeah, of priorities. Yeah, he just did it. He's like, I just want to do my own thing, and he just did it. Right. I'm going to make a cool movie. Yeah. And Disney and Lucasfilm were like, sure, why not? We don't have millions and millions and billions of dollars. Yeah, well, it worked out. Yeah. Some people saw that. Yeah, and they liked it. Yeah. Sure. Crocodile <laughs> Dundee 4. Of uh, course. Are you do you a big Crocodile? You big Croc fan? Dundee fan? Dundee, yeah. <laughs> Croc, I, I don't if, really care. Uh, if there's a subgroup of people, mm-hmm. are they called Crocs? Or what are they called? They've got to be Dundies. Dundies, yeah. But then that gets confusing with Dunder Mifflin. That is true. Yeah. Dundee heads. 
That's what they're called. Dundee heads. Yeah, we're Dundee heads. Like they're huge fan. Like they have Dundee tattoos, crocodile Dundee. Yeah. Uh, do you like those movies? I, the one thing I remember is just that's, that's not, not a knife. knife. That's not it's a, knife. a knife. That's a knife. How do you do that? I get it's Australian, it's mate. <laughs> You gotta <laughs> squinch up your face. I'll shrimp on the Barbie. <laughs> Yarg. I'm like a pirate when I go Australian. I'm like, Yarg, I yeah. shrimp on the Barbie. Sorry to any Australian listeners. Yeah. Anyways, Danny McBride is gonna play Dundee's son, apparently. Uh, this is gonna be great. It's, I think it's it's already getting Oscar attention, which is <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Danny McBride will be fun. He'll be like, Hey dad, let's go kill a kangaroo or something. Mm. Pizza Hut is testing a self driving pizza delivery car to your to your door. Do you have to go out and get the pizza? Yes. Oh. So the way it looks is it looks kind of like a little van and mm-hmm. it pulls up. It's just, it's like a robot van. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pulls up and you get inside of it, which Whoa. is what? super You're creepy. Kidnapped. And like you grab your pizzas from inside and it's supposed to be like a sitting, like you literally go to a pizza at your door. Right. Pizza Hut comes to you. Yeah. It's really odd. They're doing it. Domino's mm. is doing it. There's a, like a store doing it. They're, they're all in on this. They're going to get deliveries to yeah. your door, but that you have to go outside. The sad thing is I thought Pizza Hut, and this is just me, I guess. I thought it was closed what? because I never see them anywhere and oh. nobody ever goes, hey, let's go to Pizza Hut. Like it's kind of like the Pepsi of pizza places. I worked at Pizza Hut for like five years yeah. in a row. I also worked at a pizza place. Those were pizza. the best years Pizza Hut's ever of had. Of your life. No. Of oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pizza Hut's life. <laughs> Those were the best years of my life. <laughs> I did like working there. Yeah, it's, I loved work. I was the pizza delivery guy, and I loved it. Yeah, the, uh, fun, the string cheese that you job. use to make the uh, cheese crust. Yeah. Oh. Uh, man, you just eat that cheese. That's like a salt lick. Yeah. It's delicious. <laughs> pizza Hut. Uh, this episode of Gospel is sponsored by Pizza Hut. Uh, <laughs> Captain Marvel, Marvel has a, I don't know why I said that twice. Captain Marvel, I don't know why I said that Marvel. Times, has a secret <laughs> Avengers cameo. Spoiler alert. Hey. <laughs> So he'll be in the movie. Uh, no, uh, he. Oh, Jeremy, it's a girl. I know that. Captain Marvel. I know that. that. Pra- prayed by Brie Larson. Bry, I call her Bry. Bry Larson <laughs> again because it's fun. <laughs> Brie Larson. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I don't know what it's about. Uh, I assume that she'll just be like popping up her head or probably at the very be about end, Captain Marvel. It'll probably be a credit scene because her movie is a prequel. Is, uh, of to the events of everything else. Of everything else, what? Yeah, uh, all the, everything that's come before. It's all before that. Okay. So her that's her movie. A prequel is before something else. So her movie is going to yeah. answer questions there that we have yep. in the Every Avengers question we have. Infinity War. All right. Is what we have. Uh, you ready for this? Musky news. I forgot what I was going to do. Oh. Do it again. All right. Musky news. So musky? So, <laughs> so, uh, so musky? Uh, Elon Musk is opening up a 1950s diner in Los Angeles, which is the city of angels. Yeah. Uh, Old school drive-in at one of his supercharger stations. So apparently, I didn't know this. He His company, Tesla, is putting like 8,000 supercharger stations all across America. And you pull your Tesla in and you charge your Tesla at these stations. I saw one of these. I Did didn't you? know what Did it was, you? though. Well, there you go. It's up on, well, for the people that aren't in Virginia, this yeah, won't matter. Yeah. But it's up on uh, Laburnum Avenue near well, the airport. Oh, Laburnum. Yeah, all our <laughs> listeners know about that. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, we've That's got That's really cool. It's here. Well, in Los Angeles, you're going to get a 1950s diner. This is such a must thing. Why does he want to do this? Just I because. He's, he's like, like, I want to, I want one of those 50s diners. Yeah, and they're like, like uh, Lord Musk, why would you want that? I want skates on every foot. You know, with rockets. I haven't been able to get a good rear afloat in ages. <laughs> he, is, he is just a man of mystery, and we love every mysterious thing about him. 
I remember in the beginning, you didn't like him so much. Oh, I'm, he's growing on me. Yes, I see that. He's growing on me like one of his robotic implants that we're all forced to get. Maybe that's what's... In the year 2025. It's changing. If man your, is still alive. Your hypothalamus uh, Let's get to the affected. main event. Are you ready for this main event? What are we doing? We're going back to the basics. Yes. We're back, back to the basics. Back to the BTTB. BTTB. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Back to the basics. Uh, we started out this two episodes ago with mm-hmm. our Bible episode. We talked about the word. Yeah. Word up. Uh, the um, Bible, everybody's that word up. You no. like that song? Nope. Uh, I should have start. Man, I should have let off with that song. How great is that song? Maybe anyway, so we were back in the Bible, back to the basics, and we're just going through basics of Christianity, um, some things you should know mm-hmm. about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, all sorts of stuff, going through just the basics, right? Yeah. So tonight we're talking about the doctrine of God. I said tonight because we're recording this at night, but you could be listening in the day. So today we're talking about the doctrine tonight? of God. Or this morning. Or this morning, right? Uh, the doctrine of God. The doctrine of God. That means, what is God like? Uh, when I ask little kids, I go, what is God like? And they're like, he's an old man. Or, the, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Little kids, right? Kids say the darndest things, Jeremy. They All should make wrong. a show about that. Yeah. The existence of God. So here's, here's how we're going to start. We're going to talk a little bit about the existence of God. And we're going to keep it kind of like we did with the Bible. Because I want to come at it from the fact that you, all, you already know. God exists. Yes. If you're listening to this, you know he exists, whether you deny it or you don't deny it. Yeah. I, I often think the funny thing about uh, atheists is that if atheists didn't actually care about refuting Christians or actually just kind of did live their own life and didn't argue so much, yeah. then I w- it would actually disprove God more to me because the Bible promises that people will hate Christians. Mm-hmm. And the very fact that so much hate comes towards Christians from atheists right. really just proves uh, it's a self-proving argument, you know, really. Yeah. So anyways, that's a little side tangent. And we're not saying that out of nowhere. We're saying that because the Bible says that everyone knows that God exists. Yeah, yeah. we, we talked about this with our Bible episode. Romans yep. 1 uh, says that everyone knows, but you've been blinded mm-hmm. by the God of this age, mm-hmm. uh, and you're blinded by your own pride, by your own uh, inability to come. Yeah. And so you need the, the Lord to open up your eyes. You need the Holy Spirit to move. Um, so when we talk about the existence, the first thing when we talk about the existence is that uh, you you already know Deep down inside, the Bible says God's hidden eternity in our hearts. Uh, Romans 1, like we talked, it says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So we suppress it. Um, Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people or without excuse. Mm-hmm. So we have no excuse. Nope. So when we get to heaven, I often hear people say, well, when I get to heaven, I'll, I'll, if there is a God, I'll say, well, why didn't you just show yourself? Right. You have no, th- that verse just told you he has shown himself and you have zero excuse. Yep. And so he'll look at you and go, uh, did you never walk out your front door? Did, did nobody come, you know, did nobody hand you a Bible? Yeah. Did, did nobody ever tell you about that? Well, you'll be so overwhelmed by the majesty of God, you will not be able to speak. Yeah, there will be face melting. You ever seen our uh, <laughs> Indiana Jones? <laughs> yeah. yeah, face melting. Uh, the next thing is scripture tells us that God is creator. So uh, nature tells us, the mm-hmm. things that God has made tells us, and then scripture itself tells us. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God made everything. So who made everything? God. God. In the beginning. Uh, Psalm 19, 1 through 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And elsewhere, there's all this language about 
trees clapping their hands and mountains rejoicing and all of creation rejoices and sings God's praises. Yep. My son has, um, we have these little Bible verses we do with him and he, know, the one he knows is he just says, glory to God in highest, glory hmm. to God in highest. And so the other day I go, you hear the birds singing? What are they singing? And he goes, um, glory God in the highest. Oh. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> they are singing glory to God in the highest. That, the birds are proclaiming. Yeah. The rocks are crying out. If we won't cry out, Jesus says the rocks will cry out. They, they, you can't keep creation silent. That's awesome. Um, and so if you're not listening, then that's, that's your problem. That's you're without, you know, without excuse. Yeah. Everything that exists points mankind back to its creator. So that's the whole first part. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could stop there, but I'm going to give you a little more. That's so generous. Isn't that generous? Yeah. So here's some traditional proofs of God's existence. Now, um, Jeremy can probably help me out on this. He probably knows this more than I do. Cosmological argument. Mm-hmm. The basic premise of this is that every known thing in the universe has a cause. Therefore, the universe universe itself must have a cause. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Well, it makes sense to me. So yeah. it would be, I think the two premises are, it. well, the way William Lane Craig does it. And if you're interested in the... Uh, Traditional proofs on from a philosophical perspective on on God's existence. William Lane Craig is a great resource for that. Yeah, this uh, is one thing he's good at. Yes, yeah. um, I would say that you want to move past that into a uh, presuppositional position as quickly as you can. You can because, like the authority of the Bible, like we said, that that trumps it all. Uh, it doesn't matter if philosophy makes God seem real. God is real way before philosophy comes into it. So that, that matters. Yeah. Uh, but cosmological argument would be um, if something uh, began to exist, then it has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Yeah. And, we all, and scientists will all tell you the universe began. They'll argue about when it began. They'll argue what made it begin. Right, and right? how. And how, whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there is a cause. The next argument is the teleological argument. And this just says that evidence of harmony, order, and design points to a creator, a designer. Mm. Uh, now, this could be lead you down deism if you just go this way, because right. then you could say, well, God is the great watchmaker. Yeah, and so does cosmological. Yeah, and so is cosmological, yeah. really. The, you'll have to go back to the Bible, yeah. ultimately, to find the creator. Right. Uh, so this would say that God's the ultimate watchmaker, and he did create it, but he just set it in place, and then he's watching from afar, and uh, he's unable to do what he wants to do, but he's just letting it happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, this is kind of the, the same idea of, um, I watched this movie one time called, and Expel, this movie called Expel with Ben Stein, and he, these are scientists who are just putting forth the idea of an intelligent designer. And just by even arguing for an intelligent designer, they're not even saying the, the God. They're right. not even saying the Judeo-Christian God. Right. They're just saying maybe even aliens. They get laughed out and they lose tenure Yeah. in this movie, right? Yeah. Um, and then, and then the other thing is like he, I think he interviews Richard Dawkins and Dawkins says, there's two, there's actually new options. Now we were on the backs of crystals and crystals were sent to earth or, you know, I think it's called transpermia where they were sent to earth by a higher intelligence uh-huh. and all of our DNA stuff was coded in the crystals right. and that. We and so, yeah. And so he would be willing to say aliens or some sort of higher intelligence and they're moving that way yeah. because the more they study creation, the more they study stuff, they, they have to come back to a designer. There's right. something seeing, started it. It's so complex. And they keep, we talked about this in our episode on aliens too. They're looking for aliens. They're begging for aliens to be somewhere because then it would prove 
that there is some sort of design or some sort of creator that is other than right. God. Who at least introduce a step that we don't have now. Yeah, there. Anytime there's a drop of water that they think they found on Mars, they just throw parties, right? Because they want to find any other planet that is almost as unique as Earth, and mm-hmm. they have yet to do it. Right. Yet to do it. So it. This is you know part of the argument. So the second teleological, the third is ontological argument. It describes God as a being greater than which nothing can be imag- imagined. This argues that the characteristic of existence must belong to such a being since it's a greater to exist than not to exist. So it's basically that God is the ultimate thing that has existed. Right. And there has to be something that is greater than all the other. If we can imagine an existence, there has to be something that is imagined or and, not imagined. Right. And I will say we're not going to even kind of express the ontological argument correctly. No. Sorry. No, no, no. no. Uh, but if you like philosophy at all, the ontological argument is a lot of fun to try to understand. It's also something where if you don't like philosophy and you don't want to think hard about this, it's easy to dismiss, but I wouldn't do that. It's a, it's a good one, and it's, it's just not right for our conversation yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, what we're doing with Back to the Basics is we're purposely just skimming these. Yes, we're, yes, yes. We could spend hours on all this stuff, but we're just giving you a taste. We want to send you from this to something else to learn more. Yeah. Uh, our, our best friend is Google. And so, so sent, you know, or to, uh, ontological, ontological. The next one is moral argument. So this begins from man's sense of right and wrong and the need for justice. This argues that God must be the source of right and wrong and will one day meet out justice to all people. So if you ask people, Mm -hmm. what's your final standard? And they say, well, I just, I know that that's right. That's wrong. Right. And you go, where do you get that? Uh, well, it's just been built into the culture, man. It's just mm-hmm. built in the society. It's just built, you know, and you, if you push them far enough, it's inconsistent. Yeah. They have no basis for right and wrong. Really, we're just, you know, the, the guys from Apologia, they like to do this. If you don't know Apologia, go check it out. They like to do this and they, they say, well, we're just all protoplasm floating around. We're just all a chance, an accident. Why, would, why do we have any morals at all? Right. What does it matter what I do? Yeah. And, we'll, and, then, and ultimately, they have to say, well, it's just the way society turned out. And to, in order to live in a just society, you have to follow the rules, blah, blah, blah. Well, all the rules that we live in were founded, many of them were founded on basic Bible principles, on yeah. Christian principles. Mm-hmm. So in a way... By following the laws of the land, you're following the biblical principles that God set in place. Right. And ignoring so, others. And ignoring others. Yeah. So that's the moral argument. I think that's, I think there's something to that. Really, and, yeah. Really and that's good. how uh, Lewis's mere Christianity starts. That's how he kicks that off, is yeah. explaining the moral argument. And uh, if you want to be convinced by a really great order, <laughs> yeah. read how he uh, lays that out. It's very well done. So I wanted to give R.C. Sproul a tip of the hat here. Uh, R.C. Sproul just went to his eternal reward. He went to be with glory. He's in heaven right now, uh, rejoicing with the God who he uh, worshiped. For, for most of his life. What a, um, what a great thing for him. Uh, I want to tip my hat to him. He has this really great thing talking about his shoe. And he held up his shoe and he, he asked this guy in a debate one time, he said, the first thing about the shoe is, is it an illusion? And the guy said, no, it's not an illusion. And so he got that out of the way. And he said, mm-hmm. well, the next thing is he says, this shoe must be eternal. And the, it, obviously a shoe is not eternal, mm-hmm. right? The next thing is he says, this shoe created itself. One day I was walking along and the shoe materialized and the leather and all this stuff came together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was showing how foolish that was. And he said, the, the other option is that the shoe was created. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, if you're wearing a shoe right now, you know it didn't materialize. You know it, you know it was created by someone. Right. And so Sproul puts forth this really simple argument where he says, either we're all an illusion, like mm-hmm. Elon Musk thinks, a Matrix-type <laughs> illusion, right? Right. Either the universe is eternal, it just always existed, which we know is not true, mm-hmm. right? All science, the science goes science against that. Science goes against that. Yep. 
he says, or it created itself, which is what science would say. Science wants that very badly. Science wants that very badly. But that doesn't make any sense if you even know science, because the laws of, of thermodynamics, you know, something has to push something to make things move. And if there's a big bang happening, where did all that come from? So then they go to multiverses. It doesn't make, they have to keep making up really illogical things and non-scientific and non-scientific speculation yeah multiverses which we have no like they'd rather believe in aliens crystals and multiverses than say that there could be a god who created it all right so just chew on that chew on that a little bit it's it's really um man it's so good if you can really grasp it and go wow this makes a lot of sense yeah look at your shoe contemplate it and go was this is this an illusion (laughs) and when you get all that confidence inside of you be generous to people that don't have that. Like, uh, I don't know if that needs to be said, but it's really clear once you've accepted God as your, as, as the answer, let alone as your savior for, for all, for everything. So, so if I can, if I can be, uh, if I can delve a little bit, Jeremy, Sure. I remember talking to you a long time ago and when you were converted, when you came to conversion, you said you started out with philosophical stuff. You started out, you, you went through the gambit. Right, yep. uh, you ran through. Yep. Uh, you went through these arguments, right? Mm-hmm. What was like convincing to you? Like what grabbed you? I should say. Yeah, I mean, I read Mere Christianity early on, and then I was so irritated that it made so much sense. So I was like, "Well, <laughs> I should probably look into like some uh, Marx and some Kant and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Something I can't understand and is way beyond me, because <laughs> maybe that'll let me escape Christianity." Yeah, because I was very unwilling. Uh, Lewis talks about being an unwilling convert. I. The last thing in the like knew I was coming to religion. There was no avoiding it. I'd, I'd been agnostic atheist you were for a, a long snowman time. Melting. I was a snowman melting, <laughs> and I I thought maybe it'd be cool to be like a Buddhist or something yeah, a little bit uh, exotic. Posh. Yeah, <laughs> Dalai I Lama. I did not want to be a Christian, but uh, the truth found me out. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the philosophy stuff was it was nice to basically knock things off my list. Where I, okay, I've done this work. Uh, but in the end, it didn't mean much. I'm glad that I have it as a background so that I can talk to people about it. But yeah, it's a great springboard. It didn't convince me. All of these things that we just went through are great springboards into yeah. the gospel. It's a great thing to go. Well, what do you believe? How do you? What about? What do you think about this? Just ask. Ask questions. Yeah. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. Yes. Everybody likes it. Everyone. Everybody. Uh, ultimately, none of these things are ultimate proofs. Only God can open our eyes. Uh, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. And then the next one there says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5. And so Paul is saying there, listen, ultimately it comes down to God and a movement of the spirit. Mm. And so we pray for for you listeners, we we ask that you we challenge you in the last back to the basics episode to to challenge yourself this year to make this year the year that you seek after God. Yep. That you read the Bible, that you check out these proofs we just given you, go check it out. Yeah, make a list of things that have always held you back or or weakened your faith and yeah, then and talk, attack those things. Find like, a Christian that friend at work, anybody who professes to be a Christian and say, would you walk with me through this? Mm-hmm. And if they don't know, they'll go Google it and they'll, because they'll, they don't want to be, you know, labeled as a hypocrite or a fraud. So. And if they're a bad Christian, then move on to the next one. Move on to the next one. <laughs> so now we're going to move to the knowability of God. God must himself must reveal himself to us since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. That's Romans 1, 
19. So God has to reveal himself to us. And we talked about how he's already done that. Now, the issue with this is that God is infinite. We are finite, meaning not infinite. He's incomprehensible and unable to be fully understood by finite creatures. Yeah. Right. Uh, I often say that I love that I can put Zeus in a box. I can put all the Hindu gods in a box. Mm. They have petty, they're just petty, they're mind, you know, they, they do these silly things. Uh, I can put them in boxes, and, and it's easy. Mm-hmm. I could have made them up. Mm-hmm. God is so incomprehensible. He, he's, he's confounding. He doesn't make sense a lot of times. I read the Bible, and I'm upset by things he does. I rejoice over things he does. It's not what I would do, Yeah, and that makes me upset. Mm. And then I read later on, I go, that worked out? Like, how did that? Because, because I can't put God in a box. And you read the Bible, and it is just absolutely, it, the words explode off the page, and you go, who could write this? Yeah. Who could write this except for God himself? It really, it, the words come alive. Uh, and so God cannot be put in a box. Thank God that he cannot be put in a box, <laughs> right? He's incomprehensible. Uh, so the early church fathers kind of tried to get around this with this thing called apophatic theology, meaning to deny or it's also known as the via negativa or the way of negation, hmm. the negative way. Mm-hmm. Now, those are just big words to, to pretend like we know something. So, <laughs> uh, no, I actually, In the do, Latin. I actually do know a little bit about this. Um, this is really kind of coming back into trend now. You'll, you'll hear people talk about this a little bit more. Uh, I think it is helpful to a certain extent. It, it goes only so far, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a second. But mm-hmm. this means that we describe God by saying what he is not, rather than saying what he is or affirming um, what he is. So for example, anytime we say something about God, like God is love, we are affirming in that statement that God is not hate. Hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Since our fallen understanding of love can never fully grasp the immensity of that statement that God is love, it can be helpful to look at what God is not in order to tell us what he is. Does that okay. make sense? I mean, it's kind of, that's a very philosophical, heady type thing. Yeah. So I guess I would, I mean, I want to talk about that. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, and then I would say also, at the same time, God is says so much about himself. Yes. So we're going to say some things that that we can easily say that God is not, and from that learn things that God is, uh, but God has also used thousands of pages yeah. to say what he is. Yeah, I think that I think where this is really important is that it keeps us, it keeps a buffer between us yeah. from, from, you know, people always go, well, God's love, man, hmm. God's love. And I want to be like, do you even know what you just or what you're saying? Right. The depth to that is not what you're. Yeah. This is just. I think the the nice thing about the apophatic theology is it keeps a buffer between us from being like, yeah, we know everything about God. Uh, We got it figured out. No. This keeps us finite. This keeps us as creaturely, and we go, God is so incomprehensible. Ultimately, in His true essence, right, His ultimate essence, that we can't even. Wow. Right. And so instead of saying God is love, I have to say, man, God is not hate. I mean, God is not hate. God is not cruel. God is not greed. God, you know, I have to say all these other things and then I can go, then I can start to understand what that means that God is love. Yeah. Right. Now we're going to move from that because however, we can truly know God. That's, that's the beauty of the Bible is that we can truly know God just because we cannot exhaustively know everything about God. It doesn't mean we can't know something about him. So that means, like I said, you can't put him in a box, but we can truly know things about him. How, how do we do that? Scripture tells us. Mm things about him. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, if you know Jesus Christ, you know, the living God, mm-hmm. he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, yep. right? 
he is uh, Colossians. I think it says he is the, invi- the image of the invisible God. I have it elsewhere down the line, so I'll come back to it. But <laughs> I'm just popping in my head. Yeah. He's the image of the invisible God. So when I say that God is loving, wise, powerful, etc., it doesn't mean I have to fully understand just how loving, wise, and powerful he truly is. Right. Yeah. I'm fine. I never will understand that. Right. I'll spend all eternity trying to understand that. Yeah. And you'll see a tiny portion of the reality that you can see that tiny portion as clearly as you want, but there's always vastness beyond those edges. Yeah. So me saying God is love is like saying, uh, I, I have a wife Hmm. now that doesn't mean I know everything exhaustively about my wife. I never will, but I do know her. Yes. I do know her. I don't have full knowledge of her. Like God has full knowledge of her, but I do know her. Uh, can you pull up Jeremiah, 9, 23, 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Man, that's so good. Yes, sir. It's saying, can you imagine what it would be like if all the men in your church started boasting in their knowledge of God, like went after the knowledge of God, went after seeking him, knowing him more than they sought money, more than they sought power, more than they sought anything else. If we had men in just one church, yeah. one church yeah. in the whole world, seeking with all their heart after God, can you imagine what that church could do through the power of the spirit right. and to show his glory. Like you can't draw close to God yeah. and, and be like, I know a lot about God. I'm pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Humble, humble boasting. Right. right? But boasting uh, in God, like, yeah, it's easy to miss him. what that means, but it's God's it's boasting in what he is, not yeah. in what you know. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, there's this wonderful story I love about Eric Little, uh, from chariots of fire who ran, right. Mm-hmm. And he, his famous quote is when I run, I feel God's pleasure or his glory, right. I feel his pleasure. Um, but there's this wonderful, wonderful little moment where his masseuse came up to him right before he ran and hand him a little note and on it, I can't remember the, where it's from, but it's a, a verse in the Bible where it says, those who honor me, I will honor. Mm. And I always think about that because of little Eric said, I'm not going to run on Sunday. I'm going to honor God because of that moment. He honors God and he goes to win and God honors him. And so it's really, really cool. Just think about how those who know God boast in him, rejoice in knowing him. um, God will honor you. He does honor. Yeah, We're talking about Eric little. Yeah. 50 years later or whatever. Still talking about him. Uh, The richness of the Christian life revolves around knowing God personally personally, through the person and work of Christ Jesus. If you really know me, Jesus says, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him, John 14, 7. Mm-hmm. So to know Christ, that is the God, that is the God man. You can know God. Yeah. And so when we say that God is incomprehensible, that's true. Yes. And yet when we also say you can fully know God in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's also true. Right. Absolutely, your brain should have just popped right there, okay? Uh, and so when people say, you know, we can't just really know God, and uh, he's just kind of out there, and whatever. No. The, the, the Bible, the Christian Bible says you can have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Right. Not only that, I could talk to him right now. Jeremy and I could talk to him, close our eyes, talk to him right now. Absolutely. Or with our eyes open. Or with our <laughs> eyes open. Just in our hearts, right, this moment, as we're, talking, as we're saying something else. Amazing. Yeah. God's name. So let's go to um, just in the Bible, a person's name sort of tells you 
about them, whether that is through the Hebrew, the yeah. way the conjunctions are, it tells them something, yeah. uh, you know, the bar who, who is it? Barnabas is a son of encouragement, I think mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and so the, your names tell you something. Well, in the Bible, a person's name usually acts as a description for that person or to tell something about them. Herman Bovink, who is a theologian in his book, the doctrine of God, he gives a long list of God's names or descriptive use of, of things to kind of describe God in the way he acts, yeah. the way he works. And I have a really exhaustive list here, and this is going to be fun. So if you can read the first part there, taken from creation. Yep. So these are God's names taken from creation. He's compared to a lion, an eagle, a lamb, a hen, the sun, the morning star, a light, a torch, a fire, a fountain, a rock, a hiding place, a tower, a moth, a shadow, a shield, and a temple. And there's more. And there's more. <laughs> uh, you know, I think there's Christian songs on Caleb right now, but every one of those things, except for a moth. There's no moth ones? No, there's, now here's a new challenge. <laughs> you need to, f- I have all the scripture verses for these. So if you, if you want to accept this challenge, Jeremy could accept it. It needs to be a reverent, a reverent and glorifying song about song God, about being God as, a to as a moth. Yeah. I love that. Good luck. So here's another one taken from human experience. God is called bridegroom. He's called the husband, father, judge, and king, man of war. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Builder and maker, shepherd, physician, and there's more. Yeah. In terms of human actions, God knows, he remembers, he sees, he hears, he smells, tests, sits, rises, walks, wipes away tears, and there's more. <laughs> and then there's human emotions that are attributed to God uh, called divine accommodation or anthropomorphic language. And that's with the uh, divine imp- impassibility, which I guess we're not going to talk about too nah, much. We shouldn't go too much into that. That's a whole nother episode. Uh, but a summary would be that God does not change, suffer, or experience emotions as humans do. But he does talk, or the Bible does talk about God having joy, grief, anger, love, hatred, wrath, and there's more. And there's more. <laughs> yeah, if you read the Westminster Confession, it says he does not have passions. Um, he does not suffer. He does not doing that stuff. And so when you read in the Bible, it talks about God relenting or uh, stuff like that. That's divine accommodation. Calvin would call it, it's God, uh, the writer trying to understand God's emotions or how he acted in that situation. Yeah. Uh, whereas God does not have emotions like we have emotions. Right. So when he loves, it's a love that is so unlike human love, we can't even imagine what that is. Mm. And his, emo- if he, I see, I'm hesitant to even say emotions because that's divine impassibility. He does not have emotions, right. passions, right. right? The word's passions. Um, but so he does not have passions, meaning my love would sway me to do something mm-hmm. inappropriate or sway me to do something, uh, ungood, right? Not good. Okay. Yeah. Ungood. Um, wrong. Yeah. God is not swayed like that at right. all. Right. He does not change. Uh, scripture also metaphorically talks about God's actions in terms of human body parts. So although God is spirit, he doesn't have a human body. Scripture talks about God's face or his countenance, mm-hmm. his eyes, ears, nose, mouth, lips, tongue, neck, arms, hand, finger, foot, and there's more. And backside. And, and his backside. That's right. Uh, even terms such as good, merciful, gracious, righteous, holy, just, etc., help us understand God from an extremely limited human perspective. Yeah, and that's all God's graciousness to us, to yeah. try to explain things in a way that we can grasp, yeah, even in, if it's not fully... In human language. And it's the writers, through the Holy Spirit, writing down what they're, what they're, what's going on here. Right. Right. In human language. Yeah. Like we couldn't even, if, if we truly understood what was happening, we, we just couldn't understand it. We couldn't even, it'd be like a whole different language to us. Yes. Right. So then we're, this is how we're going to kind of separate it. We're going to talk about God's incommunicable attributes 
and God's communicable attributes. Now we're getting in the weeds here. We're talking turkey. This is, and you've heard us talk turkey before. <laughs> this is when we talk turkey. We talk a lot of turkey. We talk more turkey than Thanksgiving morning than your grandma does on Thanksgiving morning. Yeah, I don't have turkey in the morning. Well, Do you have turkey in the morning. Yeah, seven a.m. Oh, She's weird. ready. Come get your turkey. Uh, incommunicable. Incommunicable. This means those attributes that God does not share or communicate to others. Mm-hmm. So these are things that belong only to God. And no one has them. No one else. And there's a lot of these. I only picked a few of the heavy hitters. Yeah. Uh, they're all heavy hitters. Communicable attributes, those attributes that God shares or communicates with us. So how he talks to us or shows to us yeah. certain things. These would be ways that God blesses us with something like what he is. Yeah. Yeah. We're made in the image of God. Yeah. Uh, whatever that means. Right. <laughs> That's uh, a whole other episode. We all, yeah. Uh, <laughs> independence. So here's the incommunicable. Independence. God does not need us or any of his creation. Yep. He is self-existent, and this sometimes refers to his aseity. So he didn't create us out of loneliness? No. No, uh, that's un- unfortunately not. That's false? Yeah, I know. Sometimes I wake up, I'm like, oh, you know. I actually preached a sermon the other day, and I, the other day, a few weeks back, and I said, I wake up in the morning, God doesn't need me. Yes. Yay! I go to sleep at night, God doesn't need me. Hurrah! <laughs> like, it's a comfort to me that that I don't worship someone who desperately needs me. Right. That is not a weak God who I needs just, Heath to do something. Yeah, it's wonderful. What a great thought. That's awesome. Uh, so God is independent. God has all life. This is from the Westminster Confession. God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. Awesome. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and has most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever himself pleases. That's amazing. I got to get back into reading the confession. Get in. Isn't that juicy? That is good. (laughs) And that's like a a paragraph. Yeah. That's the juiciest paragraph. There's so much there. Uh, Can you read that next part there? Yeah. This is... What is this? Acts 17. Oh, great. Acts 17. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Yeah. He doesn't need us. Nope. Now, if you, I love mythology. I love Greek mythology. I love all the old mythology. Mm-hmm. And the common theme is that where did they go? Where they well they went because they needed us right like they derived their power from us and all this stuff. There's a, a new show out, I think we touched on it. It's by Neil Gaiman called American Gods. Right. And the idea is that all of the gods are actually these things called thought forms. Mm-hmm. And the more people worship them, the more power they get. Yes. So one of the old gods, I think it's Hades or I can't remember who it is. He shows back up and he's trying to hold on to whatever power he gets and take it over. Right. And there's a new god called, by, called the Tech God or something. I, I've only seen one episode. Yeah, I read the book. Yeah, did you read the book? Um, yeah, I did. Oh, it's, so you know. It's crazy, man. Yeah. I mean, everything that Gaiman writes is crazy. Yeah. But, uh, but there's a very interesting lesson uh, in idolatry there. Yeah, that's like, what, yeah, the things we worship. Yeah, and they do generate power from us. It's not in the sense that they exist. But if you think about a demon behind something that we idolize, like they, yeah. they've got to, I don't know if they derive power, but certainly pleasure from being worshiped. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, you know, that's those gods. Right. Our God doesn't need us. Nope. He was, you know, before eternity, I mean, before eternity, (laughs) in eternity past, that's what we talk about, time immemorial, right? When God was there, the Trinity is there, perfectly existing, loving each other in communion with one another. They didn't need us. Nope. 
God made us. So, you know, because he wanted to. Because he wanted to. Not because he needed to. And he didn't have to love us. He didn't have to do any of that. And it didn't make him better or yeah. more complete or a bigger story. God yeah. is already all those things all the way. Absolutely wonderful. And so what does it mean to me as a believer that God doesn't need me? It's a joy. What a joy. It is a comfort to know that when every when the whole world's crashing around, God has it all figured out. Yep. He's got it all planned out, and I can just rest my little head and go, you know what? It's going to be okay. My dad's up in heaven. Father's up in heaven, and he's got this worked out. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, and the fact that we can call God Father? Yeah. What? What? Yeah. It's amazing. It says uh, it says in the Bible that uh, don't don't be anxious for tomorrow. Today has its own has enough troubles. Yeah, and there's nothing gonna, for you to worry about. This is a great tease for the next episode. We're going to talk about Tom Bombadil and just a little bit about anxiety and whatnot. So yeah. that's a little quick quick little tease. Ooh, yeah, ooh, ooh. Um, the, so the last thing is we are not independent. We need to depend on everything. Think about just your normal day. You depend on your car working. You depend on there being food in the fridge. You depend on everything. The atmosphere holding exactly. You, you depend on, you know, a volcano not exploding yeah. down the street. Okay. Yeah. You, we are completely dependent on everything, everything our bodies. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is independent, doesn't anything. Second thing is unchanging. So once again, we're, we're talking a little bit about this. Psalm 102, 25 through 27 says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yep. He was never something less. He'll never be something more because he's always been everything. So when you say, when people say, I don't like the God of the Old Testament, well, the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And the God of the New Testament is the same God today. Yep. Yesterday, and be today. the same king on the throne when, uh, when all this is yeah. completed. So you, what you don't like is just the God of the universe. That's, right. that's what you're not liking. Yes. Uh, he's never changed. He's always been the same. So what comfort is it to us that God does not change? What is it to you, Jeremy? It's like uh, we have all these promises from God. If we can't, can't trust that he doesn't change, then we can't trust He's going to renege. Yeah. Like, oops, did I say that? Yeah. What? Oh, salvation. Uh, well, that's, let me talk about that. Well, yeah. that was, you know, I didn't really mean that. And, yeah. and God does never changes in power. He never changes in purpose. So I can trust that uh, the, the way that he describes himself in the Bible is something that will be too, that, that will never be of harm to me. Yeah. Because I can see that the God of the Bible is all loving, is uh, all knowing, is all powerful. Like I don't have to be afraid yeah. of anything because God is God. And we are not unchanging. We change literally. I, I could change in the next hour. I could next episode I record, I could be very upset. I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. I could just be angry the whole time and just, you know, I change. I just change my moods. I'm subject to the weather. I'm subject to all that stuff. Yep. You're literally shedding cells, yes. becoming something Ugh, different I'm all like the time. I'm like a lizard. Yeah. We're, <laughs> 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 no. we're talking turkey. That's not. Uh, God's eternal. No beginning, no end. Sees all of time equally and vividly. So this mm. goes to what mm. you were talking about. Yep. He sees all of time equally vividly and yet acts in real time. Yeah. So he acts, the Bible says, when the time was right, at just the right time, right, Jesus came, born of a woman. So there was a time that was laid out that was just right. And God acted in that time, in that moment, just like all the other stories in the Bible. He acts in real time, in real moments. This is not a passive God. Yeah. This is a God who acts in history, in his people's lives, actively. Yes. But God is not a captive of time. He's not waiting for the time to be right the time is right because God says this is the right time. Yeah, he's timeless. Right. He is he is he made time. Yes. Uh 
And time is a servant of his, not uh, something that exists alongside God. Or exactly. Something. And so our eternal state is dependent upon God, and time will exist in the new heavens and the new earth in some fashion. It has to, because there's all these ideas of uh, people bringing things into the new heavens and the new earth, mm-hmm. kings coming and coming in and moving out, and different things happening that exist in our basic idea of what time is, right? Yeah. In order for me to move from point A to point B, there has to be some sort of time that passes. Yes. Uh, so our eternity, we will never be eternal in ourselves. Mm-hmm. We will still be dependent on God yes. for all eternity. Yep. A lot of people don't think know that. Like they're like, I'll be immortal. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you will, but dependent on God. Right. God so is always the source. So if he did not source. want you to be immortal, he could stop that whole thing. Yes. Right. Um, anyways, God is omnipresent. Means that God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. And so this is from uh, Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I love this because I think this is David. Yes. Uh, David is saying, it's almost like if I run this way, you're there. If I run over there, you're there. Mm-hmm. If I go down, you're there. If I go up, you're there. And it's it's almost like he's saying, oh, man, I, if I, run, I wish I could run away from you. But that's not what he says. Yeah. He says, even there, your hand will guide me. And so he's saying it's actually a comfort that when I run this way, you're there. When I run that way, when I do run away from you, you're actually there guiding me. Yeah. That is a comfort because David runs. Yeah. He does run. I mean, he, he runs uh, from Saul. He, he fears and for his life many mm-hmm. times from Absalom, his own son. Yep. He runs, and he's saying, I, looking back, God's always been there. God, he's everywhere. Yeah, and he says, your right hand will hold me fast. And it's easy to pass over that and not understand. The right hand is a symbol of power. So he's saying that yeah. God's power will hold him. It's not, uh, it's not a, a mother's hand, if that makes sense. This, yeah. is, a, this is a hand of a, a king of, a, of power that's going to protect him and hold him. Yeah, 1 Kings 8.27 says, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Solomon, maybe. Uh, it seems like it would be. Yeah, uh, but, but he's saying, listen, if heaven can't contain you, and the highest heaven can't contain you, mm-hmm. then how can this house contain you? Right. It can't. Yep. Uh, you know, and so God is everywhere. So some people will go, man, God's everywhere. Well, they actually get that right. right. <laughs> he is everywhere. And yet the Bible says God dwells in heaven. Mm-hmm. And he sits on his throne. And so, yes, he is in heaven on his throne, right? Yes. Uh, it, that's cr- this is how mind-blowing the God is that we worship. Mm-hmm. He's everywhere. He says, if two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. And that's not, that's not saying you have to have two or more people to get <laughs> God there. He's just making a promise saying, I'm listening. Yes. I'm there with you. I'm with my people. I'm in the presence of my people. Yeah, and don't minimize this and, to, and think of God as the energy behind the universe or the universe itself. Yeah, that's pantheism. That's, yeah, that yeah. is not... He's um, not in every rock and tree. He's not... Yeah, it's not. It's pantheism. Right. It doesn't make the rock like God or part of God. Uh, the rock is something that God created and rejoices and worships God. Just He's like unchanging. You should. Yeah, exactly. You better. You better. <laughs> you better. Uh so the last thing here, then, this this has to be the question. God can be present to punish, sustain, or bless. I often hear people say, well, what is hell? And they go, well, hell is just the absence of God. Nope. That's actually incorrect. Yes. God is not absent. God is not absent in hell. He will be there in hell. Just his wrath yes. will be fully active in hell. And that is more terrifying to me 
than the absence of God. Yes. And it should terrify you if you're listening to this because God's wrath is restrained, it's held back, and he, and he says that you're storing up for yourself wrath on the day of destruction. Yep. In and a the, bank account. <laughs> and the Satan and, and the demons will not rule hell. Uh, they will be there under God's wrath, just like Not going to be a, a party place. Right. Not going to be a place where all the lawyers are and all, you know, as it's depicted with, and they're all having a good time and all the fun people are there and all the lame people are in heaven. It's not God's going to be. Yeah. Don't get your theology from ACDC. No. It's not fun. So hell is not the absence of God. God will be there. His wrath will be upon you for all eternity. Yeah. Uh, so those are the incommunicable. There's more. These are the communicable attributes. So the next one is spirit and invisible. God is spirit. He's invisible. John 4, 24 says God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. So this, here's the context of this. Jesus meets a woman at a well, the Samaritan woman, and he's talking with her and she says, where do I go? You Jews say I have to worship here. My people say I have to worship over here. Where on earth do I go? Even if I wanted to worship, where do I go? Yeah. And Jesus says, there's coming a time when the true followers will worship in spirit and truth, meaning where, where God is, that's where I'm, you know, because Jesus knows he's going to die, rise from the dead, and he's going to send his spirit. And he's saying, there's coming a time where the place of worship will be right here, right. where you are, with his people. Yes. Uh, when, when John writes his prologue, he talks about the word becoming flesh, and he says the word tabernacled mm-hmm. among us. And so where's the, the tabernacle was where God was. Yeah. Where's the tabernacle now? It's among us. Yes. It's in the presence of his people. It's the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, man, I could jump off into, why is it important to be in church? Right here. <laughs> you need to be where the peop- where the bride of Christ is. Be where the people of God gather. Be where the Holy Spirit tabernacles with his people and moves. And yeah. it's wonderful. And don't be satisfied to be alone with God. God has put you in, God wants you in a community of believers. To carry each other's burdens, to love each other, to work with each other and support one another, encourage one another, all those wonderful things. So the location of God with the woman at the well is the setting for this statement. God does not have size or dimensions. Uh, We are spirit-empowered people. Jesus says, it's better that I go away and I'm going to send, if I go away, I'm going to send a a counselor. I'm going to send my spirit with you. And I read that for a long time and I thought, why is it better that Jesus goes away? Yeah. Well, because now we have the Holy Spirit. We have a counselor on earth. We have a counselor in heaven. Hmm. We're covered on both fronts, baby. <laughs> right? Satan tries to get at me on earth. Holy Spirit's like, back off. Get out of here. Yeah. You know, get out of here. Bail. Leave. So Satan can't attack me. And in heaven, the Bible says that Jesus always lives to intercede yes. for me. This is also interesting because I used to think that God the Father had to look at Jesus and be like, oh, I'm about to strike Heath. And then Jesus was like, God, you know, Father, don't do this. I, this is was horribly yeah, heretical right. in my mind. But I think people have this idea. And I had it for a long time. And Jesus had to talk God down, right. talk the Father down. Right. He's interceding, like standing in the way. Yeah, 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 like he's in the way. That's not what it what it means. Now I see it to mean, and, and I'm I, this is, once again, I have no concept of what it truly means, yes. right? Yes. But how I see it to me is that he always lives mm-hmm. to intercede. So the God-man is in heaven with his wounds, Still there in his spiritual form, right? It's with his wounds, and he's his presence is my intercession, right? Because he is alive. Then he, then you're you're interceded for. Yeah, my Be- my righteousness is at the right hand of God, and yes. so God doesn't have to. He just looks there, and his son's right there. Yes, right. God is my righteousness, and when he looks at present. you, he sees his son. Yeah. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. Man, yes. I'm getting chills. I'm getting zazzed over here. Um, <laughs> I'm getting jazzed. I said zazzed. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so although we can't see God. 
He dwells in unapproachable light. I love that's such a Lord of the Rings thing. Dwells in those who dwell in the mountains, right? Uh, <laughs> God dwells in unapproachable light. He reveals himself to us in visible ways. Hmm. Jesus also says, if you've seen him, you have seen the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. It's Colossians 1, 15. It's actually two verses put together, but hey, what can you do? <laughs> knowledge, wisdom, and truthfulness. So the next thing is uh, God's knowledge, wisdom, and truthfulness. God is omniscient. Yep. So you'll see a lot of these words, omniscient, om, omnipresent, omnipowerful. It just means all something. Right. All Omni is all. Yeah. So omniscient means he has all knowledge. Okay. God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. God is the one who is perfect in knowledge, and that's from Job 37, 16. Elihu says God is perfect in knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. A true statement uh, spoken from kind of a doofus. <laughs> uh, we are not all-knowing. I have no clue if my car is going to start mm. right after I get, I hope it does, man, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. It would be good. Yeah. Otherwise you're driving me home. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're not all knowing. God's all knowing. He fully knows all things. He has perfect knowledge of all events. Now this is really interesting because I've never thought about this until I read this verse. Can you read that verse there? Jeremy? Yep. It says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, this is cool because this is an event that would have would have taken place hmm. if it had been at a different time, a different setting. Yes. Now, Jesus is not lying here. Hmm. I think he's speaking about a possible outcome that would have happened if it had happened, truly happened. Uh, if Tyre and Sidon, because otherwise he's lying. He's saying, oh, this they would have done it. He has to know they would have done it. Otherwise, he's lying. Couldn't it be parabolic? Couldn't it be this be a parable? It's still a statement. Okay. So, so I'm just <laughs> I'm just putting out. It's an interesting thought yeah. because Jesus does. He's saying he he's he's contrasting the wickedness of them mm-hmm. with the un, unwillingness to listen to them. I get it. I get right, right, right. that. But I'm saying there is something there to it where I think he's saying in in another reality or another possible thing if they, if they had heard they would have believed mm-hmm. that's how bad what's going on right now mm-hmm. and also it says in the in their you know at the end times Sodom and Gomorrah and all those places will rise up and judge yeah their own people yeah uh, that's a future statement that will happen yes right yeah that's so right. so this is just the knowledge i'm talking about the knowledge of god and and jesus having yeah. god knows all things yes exactly um, jesus knows knowledge of something that would have happened if it had happened knowledge of all possible events uh, but there was only one possible plan that was put forth, right? That was gone. Mm-hmm. Wisdom. So God has wisdom, always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. Yeah, he's never winging it. No, he's never winged it. There is no plan B. Right. Uh, he never goes, oh, man, we should probably go down this path, right? right? No, never does that. God works his providence, and he works in actual time through actual means. So God works through means. The The prime example of this is from Genesis 50. Uh, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yep. Joseph says it to his brothers after his brothers treat him horribly, yep. and Joseph suffers for years and years, and yet God and says, meant it for oh, good. Oh, God meant all that for good. Right. Even though you did mean it for evil, and it's not like, yeah. no problem, bro, it, it worked out. That's not what he's saying, yeah. although he is kind of saying that, because he yeah. does forgive them. Yeah, he does forgive them. But, uh, but yeah, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And uh, God works good in all kinds of evil. And the crazy thing is, through that evil of the brothers... The twelve tribes of Israel are fed and taken care of. Yes, and prospered. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely crazy, crazy. So, um, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The truthfulness of God. God is the true God, and all His words, knowledge, and wisdom is true, and the final standard for truth. So we talked about this once again in our episode of the Bible. 
all of God's words are true words. Yep. So the Bible is true. Uh, this is Titus 1-2, and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. I love to, to try to zing people on this hmm. because they go, what can God not do? And he's like, well, God can do anything. And I go, ah, God can't <laughs> lie. You know, I'm like, ah, gotcha. Uh, God cannot do something that would be out of his character because then he would cease to be God. Right. Right. Just because like, he's unchanging. Yeah, he's unchanging. Yeah. Just like if I turned into a bird and started flying, then I would cease to be a human. I would now be a bird. So I would change. Right. Right. God cannot change. And so the question always is, can God create a rock that is so big that even he can't lift it? You know, that's, and people are like, what? Oh, my word. What? You know, and they, they, and I go, no, he could not. Like, what? Well, God can do everything. I go, no, because then if he made a rock so big, then that rock would now be God. Because he could not do it, right? right? Because he would create something that's outside of his power. Yeah, and it would be outside of his character to even do that. Right. So Just doesn't dabble in logical, uh, what's that called? Contradictions. Yeah, yeah. No, there's some other word. Anyway. Something. Paradox. <laughs> there uh, it is. Logical paradox. Yeah. Thank you, Heath. Goodness, love, mercy, grace, and patience. Those are attributes of God. The goodness of God means that God is the final standard for what is good, and all that God does is good. It'd probably be good to stop here, <laughs> since we're talking about goodness. Uh, God is 100% all these, right? God's not 50% good. He's not 75% love, right? There's no percentages of God. Yeah. God is 100%. Uh, this is also, when we say talk about Jesus, we talk about he's 100% God, 100% man, 100%. Yeah. And the math doesn't add up, but that's the way it is. But it's God, not <laughs> but math. But it's God, not math. So the goodness of God means that God is the final standard for what is good, all that God does is good. God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others for God so loved the world that he gave. Yes. God is the ultimate giver. And he expresses his love towards us in all the other things which I'm about to list. Mm. Right? So God's mercy means that God's goodness toward those in misery and distress. God's mercy is out of his love. Yes. And all these things flow out of his holiness. And all these things flow out of his justice. Everything is a perfect it just flows out of one or the other right? because God is perfect. Yeah. He's good. God's grace means that God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. So grace is, is something that we don't deserve. It's a gift. I don't earn it. And that comes out of his love and out of his mercy and out of, you know, God's patience means that God's goodness is in withholding punishment toward those who sin over a period of time. So uh, I've, I've quoted it before. I'm going to quote it again. It's from 1 Peter. He says, God is not slow, as some account slowness. Rather, he is patient, yes. not wanting any to perish, but all have eternal life. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite verses mm -hmm. because God is so patient with me. Yeah. Just how many times I've been so foolish, how many times I've run from him, how many times he's grabbed me by the collar and been like, man, I love you too much to let you do that stupid thing. And he stopped me. And at the time I thought it was, man, why is he stopping? Why won't he let me do this? Man, just his patience with me yeah. is mind boggling. And his patience is because he loves me. That's mind boggling. Why on earth does he love me? Why on earth did he give me grace? Why on earth is he merciful to me? I have no clue. Yeah. It's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I spent all those years uh, mocking God, like real active mocking it, it wasn't every day but there like my facebook memories come up there was this one that i posted on an easter sunday it was a little cartoon stick figure of mm. jesus as a zombie and it said zombies jesus loves you yeah that came up uh you know sometime in the last six months because it's annual or whatever yeah, yeah. and i was just like oh man i cannot believe like so many people saw that and probably just thought i was a fool but 
but I wanted to express this disdain for Christ on the day that he was resurrected. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> uh, and then after all that patient waiting, a God saves me. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Um, you hated the God that wasn't real, <laughs> right? In your own mind, you spent hours of your life. I have a friend who spends hours and hours of his life hating a God who he does not believe exists. Right. Absolutely. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Um, so God's holiness, man, once again, R.C. Sproul, uh, God, God's holiness was his concern. And I, and I love that he just pushed this and talked about this when a lot of other people were not talking about it at a yeah. time and, he, and still are, don't talk about it enough. So God's holiness means that he is separated from sin. He's devoted to seeking his own honor. God is in a whole different category of holiness than we even have an idea of holiness. Right. Right. And holiness meaning like honored separateness. Honored right. and separate and different. Yes. Right. In a whole, I often tell my youth kids, I say, um, what there's a superhero I'm thinking of. He wears uh, a cape. And they can talk of you know a bunch of superheroes. Okay, this superhero also wears all black. Okay, then that narrows it down. This one's named Wayne Bruce. Oh, Batman. Mm-hmm. Batman's in his own category, and I and I use that as a silly little springboard. But I say, God, there's nobody like God. Right. God's in his whole other category. We ha- we don't even have words to describe how different he is. So other. Is mm-hmm. completely other. Yeah, he gave us his own word of holiness. Yeah, his own word. Uh, the angels, I always love this, the angels cry holy, 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 three times holy. Uh, they don't cry love, love, love. They don't cry just, 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 holy, holy, holy. Those three holies encapsulate all that God is. He is utterly holy. Mm-hmm. And that means when we approach God, we approach a holy God who hates sin, and he cannot abide with it. Right. He cannot abide with it. And you'll, uh, you'll, yeah. hear, you'll hear us be silly on this podcast. And sometimes I think we inadvertently are silly about something about God. Yeah. Uh, that is our sin and something. And our that, own awkwardness. Yeah. It's we, something that we should avoid like the plague. Uh, we don't, we don't mean to do that. We want this to be fun and engaging. So we try to be fun and engaging, but God is holy and uh, he is separate and deserving of nothing but mad. Now, see, look, I just did it. Yeah. Not deserving of nothing but absolute worship. Yeah. When we said bro earlier, I caught myself in my mind. I was like, I shouldn't say bro, you know, uh, because we want to be respectful in our language. And because of my sin, I say things that I, I necessarily don't mean or I'm trying to put together words, yeah. but I can't, I can't articulate all yeah. the time. Uh, my, one of my professors in seminary once said, you don't know how many heretical prayers I've prayed by accident. Right. And it's true. Because some people will say, uh, you know, they'll attribute things to the Father that the Spirit actually does, and think, you know, yet they mm-hmm. all do it together. But there's a an order, yeah. you know. Uh, the Son purchases our redemption, not the Holy Spirit. Yes, uh, the Son died on the cross, not the Father. That's a heresy called patriarchalism. So I guess I just bring that up because yeah. I just ask that you be patient with us. Like we we are developing we into sanctified Christians. <laughs> And someday... As perfect as I am, well, every once in a while I make mistakes. You can ask my wife. It's rare. Peace, order, righteousness, and justice. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 33. So God does not sin confusion. Uh, God is not the author of confusion. So when you see things like false preachers or false teachers, and there seems to be confusion going on, and, and, and it's being attributed to the Holy Spirit, that's not... That's not God. Yeah. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit is not confusion, mm. right? Um, the next thing there is that God is a God of peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. The Bible says that Jesus is 
our peace, Mm -hmm. that he is the embodiment of our peace, that living in Christ can actually grant you peace and rest. Yeah. And that's true (laughs) in my own life. I've, I've found it once again, when we talk about our next episode, Tom Bombadil, we're going to talk about a little bit of that peace and rest from anxiety and Mm -hmm. um, how Jesus does that for us. Yep. No peace for the wicked, but no rest. That's actually from the Bible. It says there is no peace for the wicked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're running. You spend your whole life running. And then you end your life uh, facing the God you've been running from. Yeah, You will face him. But all of us, Christians and non-Christians alike, you will face him. Um, and you can have peace now with God, knowing that you are redeemed, justified, cleansed by the blood of Christ. Or you can keep rebelling and be a rebellious son or daughter. Uh, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is, is himself the final standard of what is right. So this would be the moral argument again, that God is the final standard for morality and we get all our morals and understanding of right and wrong from God. Yeah. And not from his decree, but from his nature, from his very nature. He then lets us know, here's what I'm like. And that's why this is the law, the law. but yeah. he's not making up rules that just tickles his fancy. Yeah, and so when people say, well, why would God allow this to happen? Why would God let that person get away with it? Man, nobody gets away with it. Right. That's the whole point, that in the end, God has not raw justice, not rough justice, mm. but final, complete justice. Yes, and on this, perfect justice. On this earth, people actually do get away with it. Yeah. Via judges, via the court systems. People do get away with it all the time. Yep. Even a killer who gets three-course meals and gets to live out his days in luxury in a in a you know prison. I say luxury, but uh, you know that's still not justice. Yeah. And so God will have final justice at yeah. the end of the day, and it'll be perfect and complete. Yeah. So do not worry about that. God will have justice. The last thing is jealous and wrath. Now I left these two for the end because they don't seem like good attributes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often say oh, God's jealous for this, and people will go, "Well, jealousy is a bad thing." That's a bad thing. Uh, God's jealousy just means this. It means that God is jealous to protect his own honor and his own glory. Now, you could say, well, that's still a bad thing because then he's just an ego. You know, I often hear this. He's an egomaniacal. He wants all his glory. He wants all this. Whatever, mm-hmm. man. It's all about him. Yeah, what's all about him? Why would I worship that? Because it is all about him. Yeah, and God would be not God if he didn't recognize that he yeah. is the ultimate. What do you want? It'd be all about you? Right. No. It's all about, why would it not be all about the creator of the universe who made everything? Why would it not be about somebody who is perfect in power and might and justice and love and peace, mercy, righteousness? Why would I not worship him? Right. And why would, he would cease to be God if he did not uphold that. Yeah. If he, if he changed, then, then he would cease to be God. Yeah. And you can take something good like love and say, well, God should just promote love. But then you, God is promoting something above himself, which is ridiculous. God is love. Like, God, love is something that God has that's a part of him and that, that we get to experience as, his, as being created in his image. Yeah. But if he elevated God or elevated love above himself and we just all worship love, that's just, it's nonsense because God is God. Yeah. And love if is I, not. And if I found the most beautiful painting or most beautiful piece of music on earth and I hid it away, and I never shared it with anyone. Mm. That would be the most unloving thing I could do yeah. to take that away from everyone. Right. But the most loving thing to do would be to shout it from the rooftops, to put it on news, put it everywhere and say, everyone, listen, listen, you have to see this. You have to listen to this. That's the most loving thing to do, to bring glory to that. Yes. And so God is that. Right. And so the most loving thing he can do is to bring glory to himself Yes. and say, look how good I am. 
Yeah. Look at everything I've made. Look what I've done. Don't you want to be a part of this? Yes. Like, worship like, me. I made you. Like, worship me. Like, <laughs> look what I've done. Yeah. And I and I go, man, I can't get enough of that. Yeah. I, I can't get enough of you. I want to spend all eternity doing that. Yes. Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, and that comes from him revealing himself to me, sending the Holy Spirit to me, uh, just working in my life. It's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. So it's not a bad thing. He also says, I'm, I'm jealous for my people. God is jealous for us, for, for his, our love. He loves us and he wants his bride and he will have his bride. God will, you know, Jesus will have his bride in the end. Isaiah 48, 11, my glory, I will not give to another. He will not. Yes. And he does not. Yep. And so if, when you worship idols, when you worship, you know, all your little things we do, when I worship my things I do, he will not abide by it. Yep. And I have to succumb to his rule and his reign via, you know, through my sin and I have to cast my idols at his feet and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for what I've worshipped over you. Yeah. And that includes these really nice things that we like to think are fine to worship, like peace or yeah. love yeah. or righteousness. Those things are not God. Those are things that God calls us to and things that God is, but that's not God. Yeah. The last thing there is wrath. God's wrath means that he is intense. He intensely hates all sin. Uh, this is Psalm 103.8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious he is slow to anger, abounding in love. Once again, he's patient with us, mm-hmm. but he is a God of wrath. Yes. And it's righteous wrath. It's a wrath that is justified. These are, these are people who are storing up wrath for the day of destruction. Uh, those who are spirit-empowered believers have a bank account that is filled to the brim with Jesus' righteousness. Yep. And those who are running amok, doing whatever they want. I say running amok, but you're not running amok. You're still dependent on God, and you're doing exactly what he knows you're going to do. Um, but you're, but you're storing up wrath for yourself in a bank account. And at the end of the days, you're going to get to, you're going to get not to heaven, but you're going to get to the end and you're going to stand before the throne. He's going to say, let's open the vaults. Let's see what you got in there. And it's going to be a nightmare. It's full of wrath, full of wrath that you've been storing up and you're going to look at it and you will not say, but, but, but you'll say, yeah, I know. Right. I stand condemned. I stand condemned because you will be before the judge who knows your heart, knows you completely and you will have no excuse. Yeah. And in that moment, it will be the most terrible moment. Um, so I hate to leave you on that, but I need to leave you on that. And we're going to leave you on that just to, to let it simmer, uh, put it out there. What I wanted, what Jeremy and I wanted from this episode is that you would just kind of sit in your car, wherever you're listening to this, and just spend the next five, ten minutes in silence praying. Yeah. And just meditate on how awesome God is. Because we just skin, like we barely skinned the surface. Yeah, barely skinned the surface here, uh, and we were just telling you just a little bit about who God is um, from what we can comprehend yeah. right? the, of the incomprehensible God. Yeah, absolutely wild. So if you have, if you heard this, if you listen to this, if you've been peaked, man, go read the Bible, go pray. Um, you can, you can know this God. You can know this God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He is loving. He is gracious. He is patient. Man, he's all the things we just talked about tonight. Yep. And, and Jesus, he, he's worthy of honor and glory. And Jesus says he is the door and no one comes to the Father but through him. Uh, so go to Christ. Uh, pick up the Bible. Go to a church. Be with Christians and uh, dig and learn. And if he's the door, he says, all who knock the door will be answered. Yeah. All who seek will find. So the promise is there. If you seek him, you will find him. If you knock, he will answer. Um, he is there waiting at the door, uh, calling you now. If you hear his voice today, let today be the day that you run to Christ. So 
Uh, thanks so much for listening to the Nerd Gospel Podcast. We're super, super proud to be in the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Uh, I think we've, talk, we've talked about this in the past many times. And we've highlighted people. So if you're uh, interested in, in hearing other brothers mm-hmm. talk about God and, and they do all their own little spin, it's really quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. So go check out Society of Reformed Podcast. You can subscribe to that and you'll get all our feeds. And if you enjoy this, share it. Share it with a friend. Yeah. You know, tell a family member. Call your mom up and be like, hey, Just mom. put it on your Facebook wall. <laughs> put it on your Twitter feed. Let's get this out. Yeah, it'd really be really cool. If you listen to this and you do enjoy it, would you please help us out by sharing it, liking it, reviewing it? Anything you can do would be much appreciated. Yes. That'd be great. Come join us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, the Nerd Gospel Podcast Facebook group. Uh, we have a lot of fun on there too. Yes. So anyways, thanks for listening. I'm Heath. I'm Jeremy. Stay nerdy. <laughs> that was creepy. Stay nerdy. That's, I don't know, whatever. I think one of the most important things we do is, is to try to, to deepen our understanding of the character of God. I think we will discover very soon that through our study of Scripture that God is holy. He's righteous. He's just. And we're not. Only Christ has made an atonement. And that's what we need. The only way sinners can get past the gates of heaven is by wearing the robes of somebody else's righteousness. This powerful call of God that works what it intends to work goes back to the very act of creation. Anything that happens in this world cannot happen apart from divine sovereignty. If God is not sovereign, God is not God. It matters profoundly what it is that you believe. The thing I want to get across to you is this that unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want to keep it simple. The gospel is so plain in Scripture that a child can understand it. To be a Christian is to be forgiven. The essence of the Christian faith is grace. The essence of the Christian ethic is not arrogance, but gratitude. When I put my trust in him, He imputes or counts to me His righteousness. And on the basis of that imputed righteousness, God declares me just right now. So if I die right now, I go to heaven right now because I have all the righteousness I will ever need to get there, namely the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's good news. Because it's the gospel.